I want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. I want to talk to you about something that's dear to my heart and very important to you tonight. We're going to talk about politics and global affairs in the Bible. And I'm going to take you through scripture. I'm going to show you how that you can't separate politics, what's going on in the world and the Bible. They all three flow together. And uh, I want to show you tonight what your part is in this and what every, I'm going to cut to the chase. Every born again Christian that loves God needs to know your relationship with Israel. And we're going to talk about Israel tonight and your part in caring for Israel from scripture. And uh, all political futures, all global futures, all religious futures point to the nation of Israel. Every believer needs to know this. They point to the nation of Israel. You will never understand what's going on on this planet if you don't understand Israel. You won't understand where we're headed as a nation, our nation. The well-being of our nation is directly tied to how we handle Israel. And you're going to see that in scripture. And uh, this is something every believer should know. Listen, world history will culminate in Jerusalem. World history is moving toward Israel right now. I don't know if you have seen the recent uh, explosion and, and the proliferation of violence in the Middle East right now. It just keeps on happening. Dear ones, that is spiritual. That is spiritual. And it's prophesied in scripture. I want you to see it tonight. To, to understand the future of our land, even our nation, the world, you have to understand the history of Israel, the past of Israel. So let me tell you some things about Israel from scripture. Number one, it is the only nation on the planet that was established by an act of God. Every other nation was established by the will of men or by human actions. Israel is the only nation established by an act of God. Now, I believe God's had his hand on certain nations. The United States is one of them. And God blessed this nation. God shed his grace on thee. God blessed this nation and used this nation to bless the world. But dear ones, there is one nation on this planet that was established by an act of his will. And there is a covenant with that nation and with you in that nation. It's in Genesis chapter 12. Let's read it together. <clears throat> Genesis 12 verse one, the Lord said to Abram, there's a man named Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house, go to a land I will show you. He said, I want you to leave where you're at. I want you to take your family and I'm going to show you a land. I want you to go there. Watch what he said to him. Verse two, I will make a great nation. I will build a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. What's the promise? This is called God's Abrahamic covenant. And the covenant he made with Abraham, he said what? I want you to follow me and I'm going to make a nation out of you. And I'm going to make you great. Now here's the covenant that he made with all the peoples of the earth and Israel. Verse two, verse three. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. God deals with nations the way they deal with Israel. God deals with people the way they deal with Israel. Now watch the great promise to Abraham. He said, after he said, curse you, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He took one man. He said, I'm going to make a nation out of you and you will bless every family on this earth for the whole history of the world. This is a tremendous covenant promise uh, he made with Israel. Turn the page, Genesis uh, 17, two pages perhaps. Now, concern, this is called the covenant. You know, when God makes a covenant, let me tell you something about it. He never breaks it. He just, he is a man of his word. He cannot lie. And this covenant is eternal. I want you to look with me in Genesis 12, 17, 
Verse six, I will make you exceedingly, again, this is talking to Abraham again, exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations out of you and kings shall come from you. And they certainly have. I will establish my covenant between me and you, your descendants, your generations. Watch this. For what? Everlasting covenant. This agreement's in in place forever. Verse eight, I will give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan for what? Everlasting possession. That land was given by God to Abraham's people for an everlasting possession. Do not try to take back the land he gave to them as an everlasting possession. That's his permanent promised culture there. Turn with me to chapter 26 in Genesis also. Actually, the whole book is a covenant between him and Abraham and the descendants of Abraham. Genesis 26 verse two said this, and the Lord, now Abraham's dead. He has a son named Isaac. Now he's talking to Isaac. Verse two, the Lord appeared to him and said, Genesis 26, two, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I tell you. Dwell in this land. I will be with you and blend you, bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands. I will perform the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. Verse four, I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven I will give to your descendants these lands and in your seed, your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Who's he talking about? Jesus. He said, I will bless every family on this earth through Jesus, which came of the seed of Abraham. You know, Jesus came out of there. Turn one more page to Genesis 28. Genesis 28, I believe it's verse 13. Genesis 28, 13 says this. Now, who, do you remember Abraham had a son named Isaac? Who was Isaac's son? Jacob. Now he's talking to Jacob. Uh, and he said in verse 13, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. Talks about, uh, he goes on to say this in the latter part, verse 14, all the families of the earth shall be blessed because of you. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you. I have done, I will do what I said I'd do. That's the covenant God made with Abraham and that he blessed throughout the ages. And uh, this was the nation that was established by God forever. Now, let me, let me tell you something. I, I, I'm gonna get political tonight, but understand it's not right, left, it's Bible. Years ago, a president by the name of George W. Bush that I love dearly, He made a statement in the State of the Union speech one time and he said this. He said, America has, and he pointed to his chest right here. He said, America has a special place in the heart of God. Well, I I love America. Thank God for what this nation has done for me. I'm going to tell you something. America does not have a special place in the heart of God. Only one nation has a special place in the heart of God. And it's not America. And the scriptures are very clear that Israel is uniquely special to God above all other nations, even the United States. I want you to look at that with me in Find the book of Zechariah. You probably reading that this morning. If you'll find the last book in the Bible, which is Malachi, Zechariah is right in front of it. So the last, excuse me, Old Testament. Last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. Right in front of it is Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter two, here's another promise that I will deal with people the way they deal with my nation Israel. In Zechariah chapter two, Watch what he says. And and all through the ages, Israel has been assaulted. And here's his covenant about people who attack Israel. 
Zechariah chapter two, verse seven, up Zion. Now Zion is another name for Israel in the Bible. Zion is the glory of Israel. Escape you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of God's eye. You know what he's saying? Don't mess with my nation. Anybody that challenges Israel is challenging the apple of God's eye. That is why this nation is so, listen, God loves all people. He loves all nations. And you say, well, that's not fair. You're going to get in trouble if you don't get off that fair stuff. He is God. He can do what he wants to do. And Israel is the special nation that is the apple of his eye. Israel through the years has, has rejected God, turned their back on him. He sent his son, the Messiah, where did he send him to? To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And what did the Jews do to Jesus? But he has this heart. I want to show you something. Turn with me to Luke chapter 13. In Luke chapter 13, I want you to see the heart of God for Israel, even when they spit on him. Luke chapter 13. So you know, the, you know the history of Jesus Christ. He comes to earth. He, the Jews are looking for a Messiah. They're still looking for him. God sent him. His name was Jesus. The Hebrew word is Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. And he sent him and the Jews rejected Jesus and abused him. At the end of three years of trying to love the Jewish nation and care for the Jews, they kept rejecting him. Watch what Jesus said about Israel in Luke 13, 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets, Jerusalem, or excuse me, Luke 13, 34, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. And then he prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. What do you, do you hear an angry God because you've rejected me? What do you hear? I have done everything I can do to reach my people and you don't want me. Turn, turn a few pages, Luke chapter 19. Watch what he does again. Only twice in the Bible do you see Jesus weeping. Where's the one time everybody, the most famous, the shortest verse in the Bible, where did Jesus weep the first time? Lazarus' tomb. Jesus wept. Here's the other time. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. All right, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, his final trip. Verse 41, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Jesus just stood there and wept over this city. If you had known, even you, especially in your day, the things that would have made for your peace, but now they're hidden from you. Days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, circle you, close you on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. They will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not recognize the Messiah. What do you hear right there? This, this nation had rejected God for 2,000 years. He sends his Messiah, they reject him. And Jesus is not angry. He stands there and weeps. And he says, he said, if, if, if you had just known, if you had recognized me, you could have lived, but now you will be destroyed because you didn't recognize the Messiah has come. Do you hear the heart of God for Israel here? I've had parents who had children that went crazy, living under bridges on drugs. Those parents didn't hate those children. Those parents didn't rail on those children. Those parents wept over those children. That is the heart of God for his special nation, Israel, as he calls them his own chosen people. All right, number three, Israel in world history is the most embattled nation in world history. No nation has been attacked, crushed, dominated as Israel has. Uh, they have been conquered by, remember, the Babylonians, 
the Assyrians, the per right through world history, the Assyrians, the Persians. Do you remember when the Egyptians captured them under Joseph? Remember Moses, the guy who set them free from the Egyptians? The Crusaders, the Turks, uh, a little, even, you know, a little before my lifetime, the Germans. Does anybody remember World War II? What was that all about? A demon-possessed madman named Adolf Hitler wanted to rule the world. What was his great hatred toward, though? The Jews. It was the extermination of six million Jews. We call it the Holocaust. And once again, you, all through world history, you find Israel being assailed and embattled by other countries. And uh, of course, the Holocaust probably the most severe. Now, why has Israel been so assailed in world history? Well, that, there's, the Bible gives two reasons. Number one, and we won't look at it, Revelation chapter 12, Satan absolutely has a, an unholy hatred of Israel. Guess why? Because it is the apple of God's eye. And Satan has brought wars and rumors of war. And Revelation chapter 12 says, talking about the, the nation Israel that brought forth the Messiah, that Satan has a hatred of Israel and he makes war with her offspring. And has this holy hatred. What's the other reason that Israel has been so, has suffered so much through history? Their own rebellion against God. As you read all through scriptures, Israel would reject God, they'd rebel against him and it would bring them into captivity and plunder and judgment and whatnot. What about, to, what about today? Let's move to today's place on, on God's timetable of world history and prophecy. What about today? Today, Israel is under assault by Muslim nations, the Muslim nations that make up the Arab world uh, around it, in particular, the Palestinian state. Now, the, the argument with the United States, Muslim nations, all these surrounding nations now is that Israel's homeland, and let me tell you something, Israel's homeland is very clearly defined. He said, I will give you this land and it, if you want to look it up, Joshua chapter one, he defines the exact geographical dimensions of Israel. And he said, it is from this river to the great sea, the Mediterranean Sea. You go to Israel today. And he said, south of Lebanon to the southern border of Lebanon. And of course the Jordan River's on the, uh, it'd be the east side, the Mediterranean. And what he gave to that day, that is the land of Israel. And of course, the attempt today is to cut Israel in half and everybody, many, many, not everybody, many people's answer is a two-state solution. That we will divide Israel in half, the Palestinians will get half, the Israelis will get half. We will cut the great city, Jerusalem, in half. If you look at a map of Israel today, it is a divided city. I'm, excuse me, Jerusalem today, it's a divided city. You've got the Christian Jewish side and then you've got the Muslim side. And that's the great desire is to, desire to divide the land. But let me remind you something. People say, well, that's fair. What does the Bible say? I give this land to you and your descendants forever. And that covenant is still in effect. And uh, let, let, me, let, me, uh, let me get political here. You ever heard of the United Nations? Anybody ever heard of the United Nations? United against who? United for who? Let me take you into the prophecy of the coming days of the Antichrist and the one world government. The United Nations is united against God and against Israel. Let me show you that in the Bible. Turn with me to Psalm chapter two. Now you got to remember Psalm is the song book of the Bible, but Psalm is also the great prophetic book of the Bible. Psalm is where it was prophesied that one day Christ would come. How did it say it? The Lord will come and he will be my shepherd and I shall not want. That was a prophecy of Jesus coming. The suffering of Christ was predicted in the psalm. 
that he would be crucified. His bones wouldn't be broken, that he would be crucified. All those great prophecies of Jesus are actually in the Psalms. And this is the prophecy of the United Nations that one day will become the global amalgamation that the Antichrist will rule from. Um, see if you see anything in here. Psalm chapter two, verse one. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. What do you hear there? Nations and kings and rulers will come together. They will be what? United. Look at the next part. Against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords away. So what you see right there is that the, the alliance of global nations will come together against God. And they will say, break his bonds in pieces. Do you think God is nervous about this growing amalgamation? I mean, I think he's nervous right now. Read verse four. He who sits in the heavens will laugh. A lot of people are nervous about what's going on. What's it say right here? God's fixing to laugh at this stuff. He's not the least bit nervous. He will laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He will speak to them in distress and distress them in his deep displeasure because these nations are amalgamating under the Antichrist to rule the world. What's the Bible say? God's going to laugh at that. Watch the prophecy. See if this is not prophecy. Verse six, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Who is my king? When God says my king is going to run this earth, who's he talking about? Jesus. Notice where he put Jesus. On the holy hill of what? Jerusalem. Zion is Jerusalem or Israel. This is the prophecy that Jesus would come back to earth one day and he would rule the world. Where's he going to rule it from? The throne of David, which sits in Jerusalem. And this is, the Antichrist wants to rule the world. He's going to bring the nations together. God laughs. He says, watch who I put on the throne of this world forever. And that Jesus will rule there forever. And he, he, oh, you can go and read the rest of this. Um, the United Nations, the Antichrist will not own the nations. Look in verse eight. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. The ends of the earth for your possession. You'll break them as a rod of iron with a rod of iron and dash them to peace as the potter's vessel. What do you say? They're not going to rule this world. Jesus Christ will rule this world ultimately. I'm going to give Jesus the nations as the reward for his suffering is the promise of God of his coming. And uh, let, let me show you. Well, look, turn with me to Isaiah chapter two. Let me show you exactly where he's going to rule from. Of course, if you know the prophecy of the rapture, the second coming of the church in Isaiah chapter two, and of course, Isaiah is a great prophetic book. All right, Isaiah chapter two says this. Uh, let me cut, uh, cut from Isaiah chapter two. Oh, it's sure not the Song of Solomon, Biggers. I don't look like, that's not war there. I thought, who has rewritten my Bible? I didn't think this stuff ever changed. Watch this. This is the great prophecy that you and I will enjoy. Isaiah 2, verse 2. It shall come to pass in the what? Latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountain and shall be exalted above the hills. All nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. Out of Zion shall go forth the law, the word of the Lord from where? Jesus is going to rule the earth from Jerusalem and we want to go see him. Let us go up there. He shall judge between nations. He will rebuke peoples. You ever heard this? 
They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they ever learn war anymore. That's that great prophecy. When Jesus comes back to earth, the millennial reign, he will rule the nations. He will teach the nations and war will be over. No more strife among the nations. And instead of instruments of war, we will beat our swords into plowshares. Instead of developing weapons of war and, and fighting, we will develop weapons of agriculture. And we're going to farm with each other instead of shooting at each other. This is the promise that Jesus will return. But where's it all going to come from? He will, review, he will rule from Israel. I'm telling you, Israel is the focal point of world history. It's where everything will, will move to. All right. Um, let, let, me, let me say this about where we're at right now. The violence against Israel through world history is spiritual. It's not about land. Uh, anybody, you know, I, brought, I watched a PBS special some years ago on World War II, on Adolf Hitler in particular. And they were studying the psychology of Hitler. Good luck. And at the end, one of the commentators, you know, um, PBS people, they're very serious. They're very serious. And they put forth all these reasons that the Germans hated the Jews and why they killed him and why Hitler was like he was. And finally, last of all, he said this, and there are some people who believe that there could be a spiritual element involved in what happened. That's pretty good for PBS to see that. A lot of preachers can't see it. Of course, there's a spiritual element there. If you want to look it up sometimes, Galatians chapter three, verses 22 through 29, Abraham had two sons. One was Ishmael, one was Isaac. One was born according to the flesh, one was born according to the spirit. Isaac became the father of two of the three great world religions, Christianity and Judaism, who is Ishmael. He became the father of the Muslim nations. All Arabs, all Arabs traced their lineage back to Ishmael and Abraham was his father. Do you remember God told Abraham, you will have a, I will, you'll have a child. He was an old man. Remember, you and Sarah are going to have a baby. You'll have a child and I will bless all the families of the earth through this child. And Abraham came up with this cockeyed scheme. Well, actually, it was Sarah's idea. You know, men are. Lay it all, put you, let your wife go under the bus. <laughs> this cockeyed scheme said, you get my handmaiden pregnant and that's the one that God will work through. So they did it and she birthed Ishmael and God said, that was not the way I wanted to do it. That was your idea, your plan, not mine. So he had had Isaac. Sarah had Isaac, which was a miracle of God. And Abraham prayed over Ishmael. He said, I know that he cannot be the heir, but I am asking you to bless Ishmael. And God said, what? I will bring princes out of Ishmael and he will be a great nation. And Ishmael is the father of all Arabic nations and the Muslim faith. Isaac is the father of the Jewish and Christian faiths. And I want you to listen to what it says in Galatians 3 to continue. Just as that which is born according to the flesh, Ishmael and the Arab nations persecuted that which is born according to the spirit. Well, listen to this verse, verse 29. So it is now. The battle in the Middle East traces itself all the way back to Ishmael and to Isaac, all the way back to Abraham's seed. It is, it is demonic. It has got a spiritual element behind it. That's why brokering peace is never going to work until the Prince of Peace comes back and creates peace. You'll never understand what's going on in the world till you understand what the Bible says about why things happen. And of course, this was all, uh, it's all so clear in scripture. All right, what about the future of Israel and America and God's people, you and I from here on out in history? 
Let me tell you what the Bible says about this. There will be strife with the Muslim nations. There's going to be war between Israel and the Muslim nations. You're not going to stop it. And then something's going to happen called the rapture of the church. That's, by the way, coming to a planet near you. Jesus is going to take his people out of the earth. And then all the nations of the earth are going to come down on Israel. All the nations of the earth will assail Israel. I want to show you a great, one of the great wild passages in the Bible concerning what's going to happen from here out. And again, I want you to turn to the book of Zechariah. You find it one time, you can do it. Find Malachi, last book in the Old Testament, and back up. You want to see how accurate God is in his prior. And I remind you, Zechariah was written 500 years, excuse me, 2,500 years ago. Now, this is the prophecy of what it's going to look like. I mean, this is wild right here. And this is what's coming concerning Israel and the whole planet. And of course, you recognize all these prophecies from the book of Revelation, Daniel, all the other places in scripture. Here's the great prophecy in Zechariah 14. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. You ever heard that phrase, the day of the Lord? That's the Bible term for the second coming of Jesus. The day of the Lord is coming, Zechariah 14.1. Zechariah 14.1. The day of the Lord is coming and your spoil will be divided in your midst. Verse two, I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. What does the Bible say? Before the day of the Lord, every nation on this planet is going to turn against Jerusalem or Israel. The city shall be taken. The house is rifled or plundered. The women shall be ravished. Watch this. Half the city shall go into captivity. Half of Jerusalem will be captured by foreigners. Look at a map of Jerusalem today. It is cut slam in half. Half is controlled by the Jews. Half is controlled by the Arab world, which he prophesied. Verse three, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of the battle. Right. You ever read Revelation chapter 19, verse one? It's called the battle of Armageddon. You ever heard of the battle of Armageddon? This is it right here. There's a place right outside of Jerusalem in Israel called the Megiddo Valley, beautiful lush valley. And there's a battle that will take place there when all the nations of the world, personally, I believe they're gonna be led by, the Bible talks about the bear from the north coming down to lead the world against Israel. Can I just give you a little, this is a little personal. Let me get out from behind the pulpit. This is a little personal prophetic word. Let me tell you, you need to keep your eye on in the coming years. Keep your eye on a man named Putin. You watch him. See, we thought when the Soviet Union cracked up, everybody said, well, those prophecies aren't true. What's happening now? You keep your eye on that guy right there. I, one of my favorite presidents said, I've looked into his eyes and I've seen his soul. I have looked into his eyes and I've seen his soul too. You do that's free. Just keep that. Hang on to that. All righty. He said this, the battle of Armageddon, Revelation 19, right before the final judgment of Christ is called the battle of Armageddon. All the nations of the world will gather together and Christ will defeat them. And that's what he says right here. Now, when he does that, what's going to happen? Watch verse four. In that day, Jesus, his feet will stand where? On the Mount of Olives. I can take you to the exact spot. Jesus is going to come back to the earth. And right here, he's coming back to the Mount of Olives. If you're familiar with old Jerusalem, you, you got Jerusalem, the city, and then you got old Jerusalem, the old inner city with its walls and, and the wailing wall and all that. And there's a little, uh, little mount and it has an olive grove on it. You remember Jesus would go there and pray? It's there to this day. Olive trees live to be 50,000 years old. It's there to this day. And Jesus is gonna come stand on the Mount of Olives right there. 
which faces Jerusalem. Uh, verse, uh, look at verse, well, let's cut on through for time's sake. Verse eight. And in that day shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem. Verse nine. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. What does it mean living waters flow from Jerusalem? That's Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter in the Bible where he said, I saw a river flow from the throne of God and it will bless and heal the whole world. What does that say? Where's it going to flow from? It's going to flow from Jerusalem. Jesus is going to heal the world from the city of Jerusalem. And then verse nine, the Lord will be king over the whole thing. Now I'm going to give you a verse of speculation. It's a little wild. I'm going to tell you what some scholars say about it. Verse 12, this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fight against Jerusalem. So the Bible said, we already read it in the first part of that chapter. You can read it, Revelation 19, that all the nations of the world will gather against Israel, but the Lord will defeat them. I mean, Israel don't stand a chance. Israel is a little small nation. It's just that big. It only has, it's not, it don't have as many people as North Carolina has in it. And all the nations are going to come against Israel. How's he going to defeat them? He just said right here that I will defeat them. Watch this. Let's read it again. Verse 12. This shall be the plague. Here's how I will defeat or strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. This is, this is, if you got a weak stomach, don't read this. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets. Their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. What's the only way for that to happen? That's nuclear fission. I mean, before you hit the ground, you've dissolved. And I, I'm not saying, I, we have to be careful speculating, but I know this, he is going to take up the care of his nation, Israel. And what he said is going to come to pass. This is the future of physical Israel, uh, the land of Israel. And as I said, there is a hatred, an absolute hatred of Israel in certain segments of the world. It's seeping into our nation now. We're going to be in trouble if we don't straighten up. But the Arab hatred of Israel, you, you've heard it. Um, people calling for a, you know, a, a plural state, whatever. But you've heard this before. Our goal is to do what? Wipe Israel off the map. And of course, that's the proliferation of the nuclear armament in the nation of Iran. We need to deal with Iran. I mean, we need to put an end to this mess. What in the world is going on? Of course, all this was prophesied in scripture. All right, what is the future? That's the future of physical Israel. What about God's people that have rejected him? You think it's too late? How about the Jews? What do you think? I'm gonna show you the love of God. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 11. You talk, we have underestimated the love of God and his faithfulness and his, I know people that have made minor mistakes and thought God kicked them to the curb. You ain't done to him what Israel's done to him. Hey, listen, when he said, I will make an everlasting covenant, when he says everlasting, he means it. He said, my love for you shall not fail. He told Abraham, he said, if your sons disobey me, I will chastise them, but my love, I will never take away from them. That's the prophet Jeremiah. I want you to look at what the Bible says, and this is wild about what's going on in Israel versus you right now. Romans 11 is the passage where it speaks of it. In Romans chapter 11, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it talks about Jews have been withheld so that you could be saved. Let's just read a few verses in Romans 11, verse 25 says this. I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. How many of you know that what's going on the earth today has, is a mystery? There's something behind what's going on. 
this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Watch these words. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What happened? God has blinded the Jews to their Messiah for a period of time until all the Gentiles could be saved. And we're in that period right now where Israel, listen, Israel quotes all the prophecies of Messiah coming, but they don't believe it's Jesus. You say, well, they're dumb. They're not dumb. They're brilliant. Israel has produced more Nobel Prize winners, more scholars than any nation in world history. Something about blessing Israel. They're not dumb. They are blind. They read and study the passages on Messiah. They just can't see it. Guess why? They're in blindness. I'll tell you, look back, uh, verse eight, as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see, ears that they should not hear to this very day. They just don't get it about Jesus. I've had Jewish friends. You can talk to them about Jesus and they'll go, no, no, no. Let me quote those scriptures to you. And they'll say, but Jesus is not him. They can't see it. Why can you say, well, that's terrible. Wait a minute. Why can they not see it? Let's read that verse again. Verse 25. He said this, I do not, I do not desire, brethren, you should be ignorant of this, lest you be wise. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the times of the Gentiles has come. God will save the Gentiles first. We're in that period right now. By the way, in God's eyes, there are two, two groups of people on this earth, Jews and everybody else, Jews and Gentiles. You know, sort of like what we've done to churches. When you tell God you're a Methodist, he's going to go, what are you talking about? Amen. He don't know Methodist. He don't know Presbyterian. He don't know Baptist. He don't understand this stuff. We made this junk up. One time they tried denominations in the Bible. Tell me, where's that? First Corinthians one. Paul said, what are you doing? You say, you're, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. He said, is Christ divided? What are you doing cutting the body of Christ up? So by the way, you, you're proud about being a Methodist or a Baptist or Catholic. It don't matter. I don't care what your label is. If you go up, it's going to blow off. If you go down, it's going to burn off. It don't matter what your label is. You need to know Jesus. Jesus alone holds the keys to the kingdom. So get off your... Never mind. God recognizes two groups of people in the earth. Jews and Gentiles. To this day, that's the only two he recognizes. He has blinded Jews for a while so Gentiles could be saved. But watch what's going to happen when the, and by the way, the time of the Gentiles is going to come to an end. Watch what he says in verse 26. So all Israel will be saved. Doing Israel is rejecting the Messiah now, but Israel is going to get saved. The Bible said that as it is written, the deliverer, that's Jesus, capital D, will come out of Zion, out of Jerusalem. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That's another name for the Jews. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God is going to save Israel. We're just in a period right now where he is holding Israel back so that all people in the earth can be saved. And then he's going to bring the Jews into the salvation of Jesus Christ also. And he promised that this is going to happen. This is a wonderful picture. Let me quote again where Jesus said, when he looked at Jerusalem, he said, all I wanted to do is gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her nest, but you would not have me. And now your house is left to you desolate and it will be destroyed until the time you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. There's going to come a day when Israel's going to say, Jesus is the Messiah and he's blessed. <clears throat> Let me show you one of the greatest pictures of this in the Bible. Let me just quote it to you. Do you remember Abraham had a son named Isaac? 
Isaac had a son named Jacob. And uh, Jacob became a grown man. And his father Isaac said to him, do not take a wife from this place. We're in a foreign land. Do not take a wife from here. Go back to our homeland and you take a wife there. I don't want you marrying these foreign women. Remember Jacob's brother Esau, Mr. Bad Attitude. The Bible said Esau heard that his father didn't like foreign women. So he went out and found one just to spite him. Don't spite you, daddy. So he told Jacob, go find you a wife, but don't get it from here. Go find it. So Jacob travels and he's looking for a wife and he comes upon a well and he sees some women feeding their, excuse me, watering their sheep. And uh, he was looking for a man in particular named Laban because Laban was related to his mother, like a cousin or something. And he told the girls, he said, I'm looking for the family of Laban. And they said, well, his daughters come and feed the flocks. They'll be, they're probably on the way. They'll be here now. And all of a sudden, Rachel, who was Laban's daughter, came and she came to, to water the sheep. And the Bible said when he saw her, he kissed her and lifted up his voice and wept. And he loved her, first, loved at first sight, fell in love with her right off the bat. She takes him home. He lodges. Laban said, this is my family. This is flesh of my flesh. So he lodged there. And Jacob said to Laban, give me your daughter, Rachel. And uh, as a wife, I've come back to find I want Rachel as your, as a bride. And uh, Jacob said, what will you charge? What will it cost me to have her? And Laban said, you work for me. You labor for me seven years on my farm. You can have her as a wife. And he said, I'll do it. So he labored for seven years to get her as his wife. One of the greatest verses in the Bible about Jesus, the next verse says this, and it seemed but a few days to him because his love for her was so great. It talks about the price Jesus paid to get his bride, how that the cross seemed very small to him because of what he was getting out of it, which is you. You know what happened there. So finally, the seven years is up. He said, give me my wife. So they threw a big wedding feast and in Jewish culture, you have a big wedding feast. And then when the sun goes down, everybody goes home. The father walks his daughter in the dark and sends her into the groom's tent. And of course, you know what happens when she goes into the groom's tent. Don't you? Okay. All right. He wakes up the next morning and he goes, whoa, wrong girl. He did not take Rachel. He took Leah. He took his other daughter. Leah was Rachel's older sister and Jacob comes out of that tent. What have you done to me? What did you do to me? And uh, Laban said, it is not the custom of our land that the younger daughter gets married first. You had to, I had to give you the older daughter first. And he said, stay here and work for me seven more years and I'll give you the one you want. I'd be going upside his head what I'd do for something like that. All right, I'm not gonna get in trouble for saying this. I'm gonna let T.D. Jakes get in trouble here. The Bible said that Rachel was beautiful beyond compare, but it said Leah, Leah had, here's the here's New King James, Leah had delicate eyes. I don't know what that means. I have no idea, but I'm going to give you the T.D. Jakes interpretation of this. T.D. Jakes said, when the Bible says she had delicate eyes, he said, my grandma would say that girl was cockeyed. That's what it was. <laughs> so Rachel's beautiful, Leah's cockeyed. That's call T.D., don't mess with me. But it is the Hebrew word that she was not attractive. All right. And he works another seven years and he gets both wives and they become his wives. He loves them dearly. What's that all about? Don't you remember? Don't you remember what Jesus said? 
You search the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is a book about me. And I'm in the Old Testament. That's the story of Jesus. Jesus, what is the purpose of planet Earth? Does anybody know? So that Jesus Christ can have a bride for all of eternity. That's the only reason the earth was created. And Jesus is looking for a bride. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. But what did he have to do? He had to take Leah first, which is the Gentiles. And after he took Leah, then he could have the other one, which was Rachel. That is a picture of God's love for the Gentiles and the Jews. Gentiles have to be married to Christ first, and then the Jews will come in, which is the fulfillment of Romans 11, that the Jews come in first, excuse me, Gentiles come in first, and then the Jewish nation will come in. All right. Let me address some of the criticisms that, going on, that are going on in the land right now in churches. A lot of churches are turned against Israel in America right now. And a lot of criticism from churches and governmental people, one political party in particular and across the globe and uh, about Israel. And here's what they're saying. It is not fair. What Israel's doing is not fair and it's not right. Oh, ye blind no, no, it is not fair. It's not supposed to be fair. Don't you get it? Don't you understand what the physical Israel is a picture of our salvation? God has treated Israel better than any nation on the earth. God has given them the prime land in the Middle East. God will defend it. You say it's not fair. Don't you get it? How many of you want to stand up front of God and say, give me what I deserve? You want God to be fair with you? There was physical Israel is a picture of the grace of God. It is a picture. Let me tell you, let me tell you what's not fair. That the son of God who had done nothing wrong got nailed to a cross because of my sins. That's Israel. And that I get all the blessings of God that Jesus deserved. That is not fair. We need to get off this fair stuff. I wouldn't stand up front and tell him I want what's fair. Don't give me fair. I'd burn in hell forever. Yes, God has treated Israel better. Yes, he's shown them partiality. Don't you understand that is the revelation of the grace of God? I am grateful for it. Israel points to the salvation of Jesus Christ and the way God deals with Israel is a picture of that. Let me ask you a question. How many uh, Jews do we have? Does anybody have Jewish heritage tonight? Turn with me to Romans chapter two. Oh, I got to teach y'all something. You're right there in Romans. Turn to chapter two. Fellow visited in my office. In my office, I have a desk sitting there, I have a credenza behind it. And on each side of that credenza are two flags and they're large flags, seven foot tall. One is the American flag on one side, one is the Israeli flag on the other. And a fellow said, why you got that in there? I said, you didn't know that I'm, I have dual citizenship? He said, oh, I had no idea, I'm sorry. <laughs> when, when my son was born, you know, the doc, you know we circumcise babies, the boys. Um, at, you know, when they're born, doctors do that or after they're born. It's a good idea. And, uh, you know, the, the, the attending girl asked, said, well, do you want him circumcised? I said, what Jewish father does not want his son circumcised? She said, so I didn't know. I said, mom, don't worry about it. Just get it done. <laughs> Read with me in Romans chapter two. Oh my goodness, at the mystery and the wonder of God. Romans 2, verse 28. Romans 2, 28. Now, these are fighting words with a lot of people. I didn't write them. You just read them. Romans 2, 28, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart in the spirit 
not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. Do you get it now? God's dealing with Israel is a picture of salvation. Now the Bible said there, there is a, you can be a physical Jew by your first birth, or you can be a Jew by your second birth. I am Jewish by my new birth. I'm Jewish by my second birth. Now, let me, people say, people get hung up on this circumcision thing. Don't you, there was everything he does is a picture of eternal truth. All right. God's dealing with Abraham. I'm going to take you back. I'll just quote it to you. He's dealing with Abraham. And he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and I will establish my covenant with you. And he said, I'm going to give you a sign of the covenant. And Abraham said, what is it? He said, it's circumcision. Abraham said, great. He goes home and tells his wife, said, God's made a covenant with us for a nation and he's going to give me a sign. She said, what is it? He said, circumcision. She said, what's that? He said, I have no idea. She said, when you're talking to him tomorrow, ask him. He said, I'll do that. So he, he goes back and God came to him again and he's talking. He said, by the way, what is circumcision? And God told him and he said, whoa, that, that circumcision was unknown in the earth before this. You say, what has circumcising the male sex organ? Don't you get it? It is the removal of the pocket for potential impurity so that disease doesn't come. And what did the Bible say here? Circumcision is of the heart, right. not the flesh. Friend, when you're born again in the family of God, behold, I will give you a new heart and I will cut the flesh out of your heart so that you won't want to sin anymore if you walk with me. Everything in there is a picture of the new birth in Christ. That's why I am Jewish by second birth. That's why I hold dual citizenship. And that's why I got the flags in there. And uh, let me, let me, uh, I got to get to the point here real quick. All right. Do I have a responsibility to Israel if I'm a believer? Yes. Absolutely. Now this is what I, I want you to see this. God's covenant with, now let's turn back to the first covenant, Genesis chapter 12. I want you to see something. In Genesis 12, because I am a follower of Jesus. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He was not a Jew. He is a Jew. Jesus is a Jew today. He'll be a Jew forever. Anybody here going to heaven? Amen. All right, heaven is Revelation 21, 22. Last two chapters in the Bible are the perfect picture of heaven. It doesn't call it heaven there. What does it call it? The new Jerusalem. Friend, Jesus was a Jew. He'll always be a Jew. And me and you are going to live in the new Jerusalem. You got to understand how we are aligned. This is our heritage covenant in the, in the new birth. All right, here's his covenant concerning nations. Watch what he says. Read it again. Genesis 12, 1. The Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country. Verse 2, I'll make you a great nation. Oh, he did that. I will bless you. He did that. I told you. The blessing of God has been on Israel more than any blessing in world, nation in world history. I told you more. It just blessed me on measure, financially, intellectually. Jewish families are the healthiest families on planet Earth. Uh, the, at one time, the entire prison system in this nation had seven Jews in it. They, they just know how to do family. God's blessed, the tremendous, blessed them tremendously. I'll make your name great. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you. And watch this, he'll do what? I will curse people who curse you. Right. Now I'll say two things about this. God curses the cursers of Israel. What about nations? Does God curse nations who curse Israel? Read world history. Watch what's happened to nations that have disappeared now. Now, uh, is, is God's blessing on America? How many of you think God's blessed America? Yes. 
You'd be blind not to see this in history. God's blessed this nation. One of the reasons God's blessed this nation, one of them is because we honored his word in the early days. What's the one of the other reasons God has blessed America so much? We have been Israel's best friend through the years. What was World War II all about? Who saved nation Israel? The United States aligned with Britain. And God has blessed this nation because we have been so good to Israel. But let me tell you what's happening. Now, this, this, I'm, this is not political. You might not like this, but I'm going to say it. The previous administration in this nation that was just defeated in the election, that president was probably the greatest friend Israel ever had in policy, in policy. And Israel was more blessed by that administration. Our current administration is not friendly to Israel. Policies. You say, well, you, are you, you right or you left? I am biblical. I don't care about right or left. Seek you first the kingdom. This is not a right or left issue. This is a seek you first the kingdom of God issue. I'm telling you, we're going to be in trouble the way we're dealing with Israel. And there's a group of people in our Congress today. Sometimes they're called the squad. If you'll look it up, it's the anti-God squad. You say, why do you say that? Because they're liberal. No, because they are pressing the, you ever heard of this? DBS movement against Israel. To boycott Israel, divest Israel, sanction Israel. They want to hurt Israel physically and financially. What the Bible say? I will curse those who curse this nation. The United States will be dealt with by God the way we deal with Israel. And we need to be very careful about that. Well, what about churches? Does God deal with American churches and churches around the globe the way they deal with Israel? There's a movement in the American churches today to cause Israel to suffer. Where is this coming from? Where do, what Bible are they reading? And you've got national organizations today that have passed resolutions in their denominations to boycott and punish Israel financially. The Presbyterian Church is one of them. The Presbyterian Church has voted to punish Israel financially and ask their people, do not buy Israeli products. And they have sanctioned boycotts against Israel. What did God say he'd do to folks who curse Israel? When the Presbyterian Church, which was a great, now listen to me, I'm not talking about the little farmer that goes to a Presbyterian Church and loves God. The people are fine. It's the leaders. When the Presbyterian Church began to turn away from God's word, which is, a, you can trace it in history, when they began to do it, they had 4.3 million members in this nation. Now they're down to 1.3. They lost 55,000 members last year, shut 100 and, 112 churches, I believe it was, last year. What did the Bible say? I will deal with you the way you deal with Israel. The Methodist church is right on the hill. I don't want to say again. I got, my family's Methodist. I know Methodists that love God passionately. It is not the pew people. It is the leadership. Jeremiah 23 says, it's the prophets, it's the leaders who have turned against me. Pastors, what not leaders that are doing that. And, uh, but let me, what do you say also in this covenant? I will bless the blessers. What will God do with a nation that stands with Israel and blesses Israel? Listen, he's, he's going to bless those. What will he do for churches? If you'll study this nation, look at it with just in our nation, look at the churches that love Israel and stand with Israel. Guess what? They're flourishing, being blessed by God and growing. You, you just don't understand how serious he is about this Israel stuff and how people treat his people and uh, how, they, how they care for them. And he's going to bless those that flourish. Now, <clears throat> let's quit with talking about individuals. What about me? I'm just a country boy in North Carolina. What can I do to help Israel? Glad you asked. Let's look at what the Bible says about this. How can I bless Israel? There are three things the Bible said I do personally to bless Israel. And uh, I had somebody say to me one time, said, you're just siding with Israel in this thing. 
I said, from your mouth to God's ear. I hope he heard you say that because I'm trying my best to get him to see it. The blessing of God just rests on everything you've got the way you treat Israel. You say, I never saw that in the Bible. You just did. I will bless those who bless you. That's your family. This is extended in Deuteronomy 28. Your business, your health, your family, your marriage, your relationship, your children. Do you want the blessing of God on your home? Treat his young and good. All right, I want you to look with me. Let's look at one more, Psalm 122. Turn with me to Psalm 122. Let me show you three ways the Bible said I as a person can bless Israel. By the way, our church blesses Israel. We send money to Israel, not to the government. We send money to people that work in Israel and take care of folks that are struggling there. We also so support Jews for Jesus, which is the great outreach arm in the Christian community to take care of Israel. And uh, God blesses a church that will take care of Israel. All right, now this is the great, another great passage on Israel. In the, you say, man, Israel's in the Bible a whole lot. Imagine that. You ever heard this verse, Psalm 122, 1? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You ever heard that? Well, we can use that as our church, but this is not our church. Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. This is about Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the names of the Lord. Do you remember that? It was Zechariah 14. That's Revelation again. One of these days when Jesus comes back to rule this earth, I'm going to Jerusalem to worship. The tribes will go up to worship in Jerusalem and do what? Give thanks to the Lord. We praise God and we sing thanks to him because his presence is in this room. There's going to come a day you can go to Jerusalem, look at him face to face. Amen. You can look him right in the eye and tell him, thank you for what you did for me. That's the prophecy here. That you can go up to Jerusalem to thank the name of the Lord. Verse six, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Watch this. May they prosper who What? Do you want to prosper? You want your family to do well? You want your business to do well? Start loving Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And boy, just what a tremendous and seek their good. All right, let me tell you, I pray every day for Israel. Let me, tell you, let me just tell you this. I pray for a number of things. I pray for my city. I pray for my church. I pray for my government. I know what you think. You better pray harder. I pray for my nation. I pray for Israel every day. And as I'm going, I go through these things categorically. And I pray, when I start praying for Israel, the Holy Spirit comes over me like nothing else I pray for. I don't understand this. I don't know. But when I pray for Israel, the Spirit of God just comes down on me. Because he's calling people to intercede for Israel, which is global history in the making. Now, let me tell you four things the Bible says we need to pray for Israel. We need to pray for the peace of Israel. Now, peace has two components to it there. One is the protection of Israel. Because, you know, when the Bible talks about peace, it talks about peace in the land. And we need to pray to protect Israel. If you want to see something cool, cool wouldn't be a good word to use, I guess. Go look at some of the video clips from last night in Israel. And you see the rockets raining down on Israel. And all of a sudden you see them popping in the air. And that is the defense system that's protecting Israel from the rockets that are being rained down. We need to pray for the peace of Israel, that there be peace in the land. And I often pray, Thou, O Lord, art a shield about Israel, the glory and the lifter of your head. You are the shield of Israel. No weapon formed against Israel will prosper. Listen to me. The enemy is not Muslim nations. The enemy is Satan himself. 
We don't wrestle flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers, but he uses people. And we need to pray for the physical protection of Israel. Also, number two, we need to pray for peace in the hearts of Israel. He leads me to pray that there'd be peace in the hearts of the people. How many of you just want to live? 85% of Israeli school children are suffering from PTSD because day after day, just like yesterday, they had to slam their books down and run for the bomb shelters. How would you like for your children to live in that? Where at any moment, that siren wails and you've got to fly to the bomb shelter. Hope you don't get hit. We need to pray for, and Israel is on edge. The hearts of the Jews are on edge. You little tiny group of people like this and they're surrounded by war machines on every side. How would you feel? Now, we don't understand this being Americans because we're the big dog on the block. We need somebody who knows how to pick that big dog up and shake him a little bit right now, but we're the big dog on the block. We got the pistol, we just don't know how to shoot it right now. But Israel, the hearts of Israelis are terrified right now. Pray for the peace. And I often pray, God, get, put peace in the hearts of the people. Let them be at peace. Let them enjoy their dinner. Let them enjoy their families. Let them enjoy their lives. Number two, the peace of Israel. Number three, pray for the prosperity of Israel. Amen. The Bible talks about blessing Israel. He has done it, dear ones. God has prospered Israel tremendously. And you need to pray for the well-being of Israel. And then number four, what does the Bible say? Pray for the salvation of Israel. Jews are seeing Jesus these days. He's coming to them in dreams, just like he is Muslim folks. I want you to listen to Paul's great prayer. Romans chapter 10, verse one, let me quote it to you. Brethren, my desire and my heart before God for Israel is that they might be saved. He said, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for Israel, that he prayed for Israel's salvation. Now he said something right after that I wouldn't say. He said, I would be cut off from Christ for the salvation of Israel. Paul said, I would give up my salvation and go to hell if I thought Israel could be saved. And God obviously put the burden of Israel on the great apostle's heart, who was a Jew, by the way, he was, was Israeli nature. So we can pray for the protection, the peace, the prosperity, and the salvation of Israel. Number one, pray for Israel. Number two, stand with Israel. God notices people that stand with Israel. We're reaching a place in this land where I don't want to cross nobody. I ain't, you, all you're going to get straddling the fence is a sore crotch from here on out. You need to make up your mind. Who is on, the Bible said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come stand with me. You say, Brother Brian, if you, you talk like this, people are going to hate your guts. I'm not doing anything to get somebody to hate me. I want the king to see where I stand. Amen. I don't know what my nation is going to do, but as for me and my house, right. it is time for Christians. The other crowd came out of the closet. It's time for Jesus folks to come out of the closet right. and quit worrying about who we're going to. Let me tell you something. You don't need to worry about offending but one person. That's right. He who holds your breath needs to be the one smiling when it's all said and done. Now, don't become one of them obnoxious, aggravating. Don't do that stuff. But if the line is drawn, stand on which side Jesus is on. And we need to do that in this day. And then the third thing we can do, we need to support Israel financially. I help Israel. We, uh, y'all need to buy olive oil. You need to buy Israeli olive oil. It's the best made out there. I cook with olive oil every day of my life. I'm an olive oil idiot. And it's more expensive to buy that Israeli olive oil, but I am going to support Israel in everything I do. I wish they'd come up with a new line of bass boats. I'd buy me an Israeli bass boat <laughs> if they'd come out with them. But I want to be known as the friend of Israel. As I said before, if you're going to heaven, you're going to the New Jerusalem. Let me tell you something about Jews. A lot of people, there's just this hatred of Jews starting to rise up in our nation. That's demonic. Anybody going to heaven here? A Jew made that possible. 
we're going to the new Jerusalem because a Jew made that possible. And I am the friend of the Jews and I think God bless Israel. All right, we're gonna do what the Bible says real quick here. Let's do this. Let's pray together. Father, I praise you and thank you. We'll never understand our Christian heritage till we understand where Jesus Christ came from the Jews, that he was sent to bless every family on the earth, Muslim families, American families, every family on this earth will be blessed through Abraham because Jesus Christ came the seed and lineage of Abraham. And I praise you and thank you for that. We thank you for our Jewish heritage that we have. Thank you so much for the goodness of it according to your word. I wanna praise you and thank you that before your special people could get in, the Gentiles had to get in of which I'm one. I praise you for this day when heaven's door is wide open for anybody. But your word said there's a day where this door will close and it will only be open to Israel, the Jews, and all Israel will be saved. I praise you. And Father, as I do every day, we as a church now, we pray for protection over Israel. Thou, O Lord, art a shield about me, the glory and the lifter of Israel's head. You are the dome. You are the defense. You are the rock. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord defends his people. We believe you for that. I believe you to be the defense of Israel in these days. And I thank you that you are. I just humbly often I tell you, I love the way that you protect your people. Father, we pray for peace across the land. Why are school children terrorized and can't go to sleep at night? Why are people, why are they terrified and on edge? Let the presence of Holy Spirit peace rest on Jerusalem. Let it just come down on the land. Let people's hearts relax. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I trust you for that. Father, I pray, bless this nation. Raise this nation. You said, I will bless you. I will make you a great nation, not an average nation. And I will bless you and you will prosper in all that you set your hand to. Father, bless Israel so they can bless the world. We in America have forgotten that so much of our medical advancement, the reason some of us are still alive, came out of Israel, the great research center of the world. I pray in Jesus' name, bless Israel. And Father, I want to praise you and thank you that all Israel will be saved. Thank you that the people that Jesus wept over, nobody has treated you worse than Jerusalem and Israel. And yet your love is still there. Much like Hosea went back and took the unfaithful wife and said, I will marry you and love you forever. I praise you that all Israel will be saved. I don't understand all this that's going on. I don't understand the timelines. But when I read the newspaper, I say the Bible has come alive. And I pray in Jesus' name for the salvation of Israel. Father, I pray that even, even in this day, you're opening the eyes and hearts of Jewish people to say, that's him. That's him. And now, Father, we want to pause by saying thank you. Why is it that we believe that your son is the salvation of the world for our souls? Lord, it's not because we're smarter than they are. It's because you've opened the eyes of our hearts. And I praise you, as you told Simon, blessed are the eyes that have seen the things you've seen. Blessed are you, Simon. Only God could have shown you who the Messiah is. Only reason I believe in the Son of God is because you let me do it. And I thank you for that. And I want to praise you and thank you for 10,000 years from now. Father, that we will, you will reunite and Jesus will rule this world. I trust you for that. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.